ones of the entering class, if I were to guess as to why you have come to Westminster Seminary, my first guess would be that you did not go to Expo 67. You were just too busy gathering funds for coming to Westminster. Perhaps last year, some one of those days, you came to the campus and you visited the dining room, you were invited to lunch, and you heard the students argue about Arminianism, Calvinism, Amaralianism, Superlapsarianism, Infralapsarianism, and many other such names. And you thought that must be wonderful. And you <laughs> thought you wanted to join in. And then maybe you visited one of the classes and you heard one of the professors in great earnestness say that it was really a matter of life and death that we should preach the gospel of Christ who died on the cross and rose again on a certain point in history, and that not everybody seemed to believe this today. So you made up your mind then and there that you would enroll in the seminary, and you got a blank from Mr. Slope, and he registered your name. And then some little time later, when you were out in Chicago, you met Dr. McClellan, Joseph C. McClellan, one of the writers in the Christian Century, that great ecumenical magazine. In the course of coffee, as you were treating him, you, he said to you, well, where are you going to seminary? And you said to him, Westminster. He kept silent for a moment. And then he said, have you been to Expo 67? <laughs> and you have to admit that as yet you had not. He said, I wish you could go, because if you go, you will see there the Christian pavilion. I am sure you will go to, would go to see that. And then you will see something different, and perhaps you will reconsider your choice of seminary. For in this pavilion there are, he says, three zones. The first zone gives you the ordinary affairs of life and its banality and its grandeur. That's a neutral zone. But then by a carpeted stairway, you go down to the second zone, and there you see loneliness, alienation, hatred, segregation, starvation, desperation. And then at the end of that second zone, there is a little room, and in that little room, there is a play now being played. It is, the name of it is The Eighth Day. This film documents man's cruel stupidity and inhumanity. Talk about Calvin speaking of total depravity. He doesn't know anything about such things. It's the death psychology. It's Freud. Someone said if to read a few pages of Freud is enough to shock any decent beast. Well, <laughs> it's here that you see what Freud tells you and what death psychology and existentialism tell you about the real depth of degradation of man's inhumanity to man. But then Charles Gagnon, the pavilion's designer, had something else in mind, too. 
the message of hope, which the idea of an eighth day of the week for Jews and Christians has always symbolized. And then when you have seen this movie, you, can, you will pass on to the third zone, and there you will see huge pictures symbolizing five moments in Christian experience, birth, life, death, resurrection, and life in the Spirit, which is Pentecost for all. These pictures teach us that life, human life in all of its forms, familiar and grotesque, noble and base, kind and cruel, yet is open to the divine presence and power. Walking out of this pavilion, you say to yourself, I wonder if Mr. McClellan, McClellan doesn't have a point. Isn't it perhaps true that we traditional people, those of us in the denominations, whether Presbyterian, Baptist, or Reformed, Episcopal, or whatever else, that we have been, in our traditional approach, pretty stultifying? that we have thought of doctrines and more doctrines and truths about a God of whom, after all, who can know. Is that what Jesus wanted to do? He didn't have any doctrines to teach. He wanted to give us life and give us life abundantly. So then if the gospel means reconciliation, as it surely means, the harmony which is God's will for his creation, then the attempt to erect a structure such as this pavilion offers is certainly true to the gospel. It can well serve as a model for a point of contact with people who do not know the gospel. So walking to your car, you decide to withdraw your application to Westminster Seminary and to enroll instead at Princeton Theological Seminary. For you know that Princeton is one of those great institutions of learning which stands for modern ecumenism and that it is one is owned and operated under the direction of one of the eight churches that have created this pavilion. And so then what better to do in advance of going to Princeton than to go to Expo 67. Off you go to Montreal. And then when you have just entered the arena, close to the pavilion, you meet Dr. A.B.B. Moore, who is president of Victoria College in Canada. And so he expounds to you this thing still further and he tells you about uh, uh, the principles on which this pavilion is based. He says, here's a pamphlet. Take it with you. Read it. We will erect a Christian pavilion capable of showing to the world that God was made flesh to dwell among us and that he is present in all that is happening concerning man and his world. In spite of the things that separate us, we believe that we can and must humbly bear witness to our faith in Jesus Christ and to our intent to be like him, servants of our fellow men. Now this, he says, was formulated as early as 1964 by the heads of these eight churches that have built this pavilion. 
So you see, this is a grand, modern, ecumenical movement of which you will be a part if you now, instead of going to Westminster, go to Princeton or some other modern ecumenist seminary. And so then, what do you do now? After you do leave Mr. Moore, you think once more about the whole situation. And as you go back, you pick up a little book called Frontline Theology. Surely that's what you must read. And in it, there are a number of theologians, though the book is small, they all agree that there is no possible revelation once for all finished in Scripture or in Jesus Christ in history. So then they agree on this. These are the front-line theologies that now want to go beyond the Bart, Bultmann, Tillich, and Niebuhr generation. And surely you want to be in the front line, do you not, with the front-line theologians. And so you are all the more encouraged as you think that you should go to this modern seminary. And then you finally come to yourself. You maybe read one more book, namely by Paul Ricoeur, a philosopher, who supports this frontline theology and says that when we speak of Adam, that's a myth. And you must not say it's only a myth, but it is even as good as a myth. It's better than history. It's so true that it symbolizes the truth for all. Now then, you ask yourself, where further do I read about this? And then you discover that you may as well go to the God is dead theologians, for some of them write in this little book, and their theology is not one iota tittle different from the theology of the others that write in this same book. Basically, not one of them any longer believes in the God of historic Christianity or in the incarnation of the Son of God in Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, once for all giving us the revelation of his grace. And so you ask yourself, is that now what I want to preach? And you come to yourself and you say, well, there's no use going to any seminary. I can learn this from Paul Ricoeur. I can learn it from the philosophers. I can learn it from the, theolo from the modern scientists. And I do not need to go to any seminary. But then thinking it all over, you realize this is not the God of the Bible, not the God of the Scriptures, nor Christ who died and rose again for your sins, for the forgiveness of your sins. And then, by the grace of God's Spirit, rethinking it all, your trip to Expo 67 helped you to analyze, to see through the situation today and see that there are two and only two ways of approaching life. In this modern ecumenicism, we have one. It is not what the early ecumenicism of the early churches taught. They taught God of the Scriptures. They taught Christ the Incarnation in Jesus and once for all in finished form. But now then, you may as well go anywhere else. There's no need for you to preach this Christ 
All men are already in this Christ. All men are already redeemed. Why do you need to take the trouble at all? And so we are happy and thankful that on reconsideration you came to the conclusion that you wanted to go to an institution where to be sure you would learn about this new theology, but you would also learn, as you don't learn any longer at those institutions, the historic Christian faith, so that you can compare for yourself and that you have decided to proclaim Christ, Him crucified, Christ and the resurrection to a world that is lost in sin and in darkness. And we hope and pray that with God's grace you may, with us, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior Jesus Christ and learn to proclaim this Christ, for He alone can save men from the wrath to come. Well, his mother was told that he could save his people from their sins. And Satan knew what that meant for him. Jesus came to bring in and to establish the kingdom of heaven and to destroy the kingdom of Satan. While he was about his work to heal the sick, he called the blind to see, the deaf to hear, and he drove the devil from men's hearts. And then he sent out his twelve that they might do likewise and heal the sick, and cause the blind to see, and the deaf to hear, the dumb to speak, and the devil to be driven from men's hearts. Would not the people rejoice in such a thing as this? Would not they be glad that now at last this one of whom the prophet had spoken, that he should go about doing good among men, that he should storm, fill the storms of the sea, that he should heal the bodies of men, and most of all that he should heal the diseases of the hearts and souls of men. But Jesus as he was about to send out his twelve to preach the kingdom, to tell, drive the devil from men's hearts and to heal the sick, said unto them, You will be hated of all men for my sake. And he also said, He that is not with me is against me. He that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Will you not, my friends, as you go forth from this place, on this special 40th anniversary occasion, think with me briefly of these words of Jesus. He that is not for me, that is not with me, is against me. He that gathers not together into my kingdom by the proclamation of the kingdom is against me and scattereth abroad into the kingdom of Satan. Well, Satan knew what this was all about. At the beginning of the service, the ministry of Jesus, Satan came to tempt him that he, Jesus, would accept the kingdom of his behalf by bowing to him. And Satan, who claimed to be the king of the world, 
would give to Christ the things that he wanted to do to establish his kingdom. But Jesus did not fall to Satan. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. He was led by that word of God of which we have heard. And the scripture said that this is not the way thy kingdom shall be destroyed. From this time on, did not earlier Satan knew that between him and Jesus there could be nothing but a soul. And so what did he do to accomplish his rebellious purpose? He poured of his hatred into the hearts of the Pharisees, the leaders of this people, that they might make a good effect, that they might neutralize if possible this healing power of Jesus, this driving forth of Satan from the hearts of men, that they would attribute to some other power, any other power, than the power of Jesus as the Son of God and Son of Man, this driving forth of Satan's devil from men's hearts. You recall on one of special occasions that people brought to Jesus the man who was dumb. He could not speak. He could not plead with Jesus by voice to heal him as others have done. He was blind. He could not even look into the face of Jesus not to plead with him for his healing of his eyesight. And he was possessed with a devil. He could not appeal to Jesus by his mere existence. His very existence was animated in this movement by the power of darkness and of hatred against Satan, against Jesus. And then now, my friends, look down on Jesus, of whom you are to preach and of whose kingdom you will speak. And show forth this great mercy that Jesus showed on this occasion. We have simply told he healed the man. He spoke, he saw, and Satan was driven from his heart. And now Satan knows what he must do next. He enters into the hearts of these Pharisees and to have them attribute to some other thought the healing of this man who was possessed of the devil. In all his wisdom, in all his folly, Satan is willing to admit that there is inconsistency in his own kingdom. He has the Pharisees saying, this man drives out the devil by the elves about the chief of the devil. There is some good in all things. Evil to be evil must have some measure of being, and being will heal itself at last. We must incorporate the work of Jesus into this healing power that is inherent in the world. And that's the philosophy that Satan inculcated into the hearts of these Pharisees in order that his work, Jesus' work, might be made of none effect. But Jesus, knowing the hearts of men and knowing the opposition of Satan that works in these Pharisees, refuted them and said, If I by Satan drive out Satan, 
Seven ancient kingdoms divided against itself. There is internal contradiction and meaninglessness in this kingdom of darkness. I have come to bring you the kingdom of light, of life and of fire. I have destroyed the power of sentiment before your very eyes. Choose ye now of this day. For me, against Satan, if you are not for me and with me, and if you will not go forth to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom in my name, then you are scattering abroad, then you are with Satan. It was the people that Jesus had in mind. It was the multitude with whom he was concerned. He said them with bread that they might eat, and now he came to bring them salvation that they might be saved from the wrath to come. And the people were amazed. They never saw it like this. What wonderful power this is! But that was not enough for Jesus. He wanted them to choose for him and against Satan right now is the moment of decision for or against Jesus, or against me, or against Satan. And that's what Jesus did in his time. And when gave reformation, and his friends with him 40 years ago this time, organized this institution, it was because he believed in Jesus, and in what he came to do, to destroy the kingdom of darkness and to establish the kingdom of heaven. In Dr. Nation's day, there was a liberal or modernist, he spoke of them, who was he said by some naturalistic principle, explaining Christianity itself, including the miraculous healing powers of Jesus, the virgin birth, his resurrection, and all. Any power, the anima mundi theory, he called it, the power of the universe, inherent, a healing power, somehow, substance inside this universe, which would overcome all the wickedness of the world. Such a view, Dr. Mason said, is an unbelievable thing. Obviously, that the gospel is supernatural. They tried and tried in vain to separate the kernel from the hot, to throw the hot of the supernatural aside and to retain the kernel. It cannot, it cannot be done, said Dr. Mason. And now I stand as in this day of neo-orthodoxy and new liberalism you go for, and are called by this same Jesus to go forth and proclaim the kingdom of heaven, not in the sense of healing the sick and driving out devils in the way that Jesus did. Dr. Nathan knew that he could not say anything like what Jesus said. Jesus was God, and nation was a man, a sinful man, but he knew that he can save by grace and that God's Holy Spirit was driving him on by the power of the Almighty God 
in opposition to the kingdom of darkness to save men from the wrath to come. In our days, as was true in Dr. Mason's day, the neo-orthodox theologian like the modernists of his day and like the Pharisees of Jesus' day, they that Jesus cannot be God. It isn't first of all a question of facts alone. Many men will rise today and say the love of resurrection, but they will not say that through that Jesus did on the cross and by rising from the dead after his crucifixion, he brought transition in history from wrath to grave to life, life from death. They say that is not possible. Modern science, modern philosophy, and modern theologians following modern science and philosophy say there cannot be such a thing as this. And now it is in the face of this, my friends, this situation of which Dr. Jones has spoken so eloquently, that you go for with the simplicity of the task assigned you to proclaim the gospel and to bring unto men the hope that they have, that they may have in him. Without God, without hope in this world, is the condition of men around us and the leadership of the church like the Pharisees of Jesus' day would lead men astray against the gospel of this kingdom. And so may you, by the grace of God, be given strength and perseverance and a place of service in the ministry of teaching of the gospel so that at the last, when you have faithfully proclaimed this gospel, you may be able to say with Paul the Apostle, I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day.